we've got a very interesting passage this morning to uh, undertake. Uh, and I know, probably most of all, I know that I'm not going to be able to touch everything in this passage. Um, this is one passage in particular that is very deep and uh, has a lot to it. So we'll do our best and uh, let's pray right now and ask God to lead us here. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Uh, Lord, we are just um, instruments. We're, it, it's not about what I say. It's not about what anyone says. It's about what you have declared and proclaimed and revealed through your written word. May we be good students of it. May we hunger and thirst for it. Help us, dear Lord, to really see uh, what it is that you have for us here this morning. To be people with eyes to really see and ears to really hear. Do your good work, we pray. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, for some reason, still remember a time... Uh, back when I was a, a little boy, when I got lost, I was in the grocery store. <laughs> I know women, you can't understand that, right? <laughs> I get, I got lost as a little boy, and I, the, the fear that came at that moment gripped my heart. I didn't see mom. I was lost. Yeah, I must have been, you know, I don't know what, a little toddler racing around running away from mom I don't know but it made an impression on my life and um, I mentioned that to get started here because I don't know if it made an impression hopefully it made an impression on Israel when they lost sight of God and it ought to make an impression on you as a believer when things go astray in your life um, hopefully that doesn't happen. But we have a passage that shows us it happened. And so we look at Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32. And uh, what we want to start with seeing here is this verse in Exodus 31. So look at Exodus, the very last verse of Exodus 31. And God gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God, the authentic tablets. Here they are, written with the finger of God. Okay, if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, now we're ready to go. Okay, God's given us a promise. Now he's given us his, the, the commandments, and now we're ready to go. So it's like, here's this one moment. It's historic. It's amazing. He's got these tablets and they're written by the finger of God. And they're to guide the people to live for God. At one moment, in chapter 32, verse 1, at the very next moment, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Come up, get with it, Aaron, come on, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. <laughs> so here's one moment up on Mount Sinai. Whoa. And here's another moment at the foot of Mount Sinai at the camp. And notice the steps and the quickness of Israel's failure. It's very significant for you, believer. We can be so excited to have a mountaintop experience of drawing near to God and having God speak to us and all those great things, and yet, at a moment's notice, be fading away. Uh, so... It sure seems like their failure happens in a very next moment. It doesn't take very long for you and I to stumble in sin, fall, choose 
sin. Let's call it that. Choose sin. Fall in sin. So, I want us to consider four issues that took place as a result of this. Four issues. Number one, it was their fading focus. Their fading focus. Their focus of faith. That's what we're really talking about. Their focus of faith was no longer on God. That's what we see in chapter 32, verse 1. And you say, well, how do you get that? Well, the people saw who? That Moses had delayed in coming down. In a, in a way, what we're understanding is their connection was with Moses as being the leader, right? And that's good. But it can go too far. It can go too far as we're, we're putting our hopes in this guy, in this leader. And so our passage today is not just about the coming idolatry of the golden calf. It's also about leadership, good and bad leadership. They couldn't see Moses anymore. Their eyes of faith really got displaced. Displaced on Moses and even on his absence. And so we'd be more accurate to call it the eyes of the flesh. Or here's the... We, we start working with the eyes of the flesh. It wasn't some big... At this point, at this stage, it wasn't some huge sin. They just... They gathered themselves together and said, hey, we, we need some leadership here. We need, we need a God to see. We need something we can see. Now consider this connection. They come to Aaron and they d- make a demand of Aaron. Look at verse 1 again. Up! Make us gods, look at this, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, right there is the connection about where their sights have been. It's been on Moses. And it's like, how could that be? Here's what, think back what God has done in the story of the Exodus. God has shown himself in amazing ways. And yet the people continue getting their sights set in the wrong place on Moses. So up, come on, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So now with, we don't know what's come of him. We got to do something else. <laughs> we got to go some, do something else here. So their preference is to have a visual, if you will. I believe that they were drawn in their minds back to Egypt at this moment. We want someone, we want some gods here to lead us and show us the way. Well, what did they see? What was in their mind's eye from back in Egypt? Gods. You know, (laughs) they remembered the gods of Egypt because they had seen them. And folks, this is an important little piece, is that what comes in through the eye gate and the ear gate is very important. Are you letting things come into your eye gate and ear gate to to lead you in your way, to lead you in your life? It's very easy to get led about by things that we see and things that we hear. So... We are challenged immediately. Where is your focus? Where is your focus today, tomorrow, tomorrow night, in the middle of the night when you wake up at at some peculiar time, whatever? Where is your focus? Who are you focusing on? Where are your eyes of faith fixed on day in and day out? Because it's so easy to let our eyes wander off, drift away from God and His blessing, and onto vain things, empty things. Psalm 119, verse 37. Just mark the reference down. Psalm 119, verse 37 says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. We need that reminder. Turn my, I I need that help. I need that help. You need that help. Turn my eyes away from looking at vain things. 
and give me life in your ways. And along with this thought of their, their focus is starting to get fixed on something other than God, we need to remember that the enemy of God never takes a vacation. His strategy is to just simply drag you back to bondage to your old sin, your old ways. He wants to drag you back and, and enchain you, enslave you again. Just like, like Israel started thinking later on, hey, if we just, if we were just back in Egypt. Well, they were slaves in Egypt. And so that's what the enemy wants. Little thoughts that get in your mind and cause you to go back in the old, the ways of the old flesh. The ways of bondage. Okay? You know, that might be uh, going back to a life of fear and worry and anxiety. When you have fear, worry, and anxiety, you're living according to the flesh. Or it might be, on the other hand, self-reliance, self-confidence. You know, you can do it yourself. You don't need God. You know, all those kind of little thoughts that sneak into our, into our minds. All sorts of things. I mean, it's, it's just something better. You know, some, some newfangled thing that comes up on the, in the bookstore or whatever, you know. The power of sin is ever ready and it is swift to come in and take control because it's always there. It's always a struggle and a battle that you have in the flesh, in your body. And we need to see here in this passage how sin already, in a sense, already had crept in to the minds of the people. I'll do the fact that they are prone to sin. That's what you and I have a problem with. We're prone to sin. We're bent in that way. And so we need to remember that what Christ has done is He's come about to straighten the way, make the way straight, what John the Baptist called for, make way the straight, you know, make straight the way of the Lord. Get it mixed up. So that's what we're recognizing. We're, we're bent and twisted in sin and God is coming to make the way straight in our lives. But look at what happens here. In verse 1, we just see three um, signs of faith gone astray. Faith gone astray. Number one, a, a complaining attitude. A complaining attitude. You know, th- it started brewing in their minds. That, you know, where is this Moses? You know, Come on, he's supposed to be the one leading us. Where, where is he? Well, along with that is a growing impatience. We, we don't have that kind of problem, do we? And we can. We can laugh about that, but that is a problem that the flesh takes advantage of. A growing impatience. So there's this complaining attitude, a growing impatience demonstrated that they did not wait upon the Lord. They didn't wait upon the Lord. And it's one of those things, again, where, you know, here it seems like here's one moment God gives them the tablets. Here's the next moment they start a rebellion, in a sense, and go for idolatry. And had they just waited... Moses would have been coming down, coming down the mountain, okay? But then it leads to this demand. They demand, Aaron, do this. Come on, you do this. And it leads to a foolish, sinful result. So that is where, that is faith gone astray. And don't you think for a minute, Christian, that that can't happen to you. We can get so caught up in the fact that, well, I, I am a member of this church, or I, I do a Bible study, I'm involved in this or that. Your flesh is still, you know, the, the, the power of sin is still something that we have to wrestle with and deal with. Let me restate that. We need to let God do His work in that way in our lives. 
That's the process of sanctification, that He is separating us more and more unto holy service for Him, for His glory. Okay. Well, it then, point number two unfolds as feeble leadership. Feeble leadership. Let's look at this passage. Look at verse 2 right now, and we're going to read down to verse um, 6. Verse 2 through 6. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives. Actually, it was the idea of tear them off. Just rip them off. (laughs) Tear off the, the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So here's the response. All the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he, he, watch this in verse 4, he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. There's Aaron's leadership. It's feeble. It's weak. It's problematic. It's leading people to sin even more. And they said in verse 4, these are your gods. The people then rose up saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, here's more weak, feeble leadership. When he saw this, he built an altar before. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Aaron demonstrated that he was more about gaining man's approval than God's. He wanted man's approval more than God's. His leadership led them nowhere but into further sin. It provided no example of godliness. It made no strong stand. It's clear that Aaron catered to the people in their fanciful inclinations. He did not seek first the kingdom of God. He did not seek God's counsel. He did not pray. He did not stand up for righteousness. He did not speak up for what God had commanded. Aaron made no mention of what had just recently, previously, took place. Turn back to Exodus 24. Look at Exodus 24. It's just a few chapters back, and it's really not that far uh, gone in time. Might have been, you know, close to 40 days, but they still had this in their mind's eye. Chapter 24, verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay? Then verse 7, And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. Okay? wasn't that far along. So back to chapter 32, Exodus 32. So we need to let this sink in. The people fell to their own sinful desires in a moment's notice, and so too was the further unraveling with Aaron's display of weak and feeble leadership. It was a further foul-up if you will, of spiritual demise of Israel. And think of that. You know, there's, this is, a, I think, a theological point of man's condition, the condition of your heart and my heart. We can cry out, oh yeah, we want God, we want this, and yet moments later, we break it. We lose it. We forget, or whatever. We choose We choose to do our own thing. But this point right here, point number two, the feeble leadership is really pointing out the issue of the fear of man taking place over the fear of of God. 
when God becomes little and man becomes big, that's what happened. That's how Aaron approached it. Philosophically, we could say Aaron's approach was, well, these guys are they're right on me here. They're wanting me to do this. And so I, I guess I better do this. And so it falls back on in his mind to say, well, um, what do we do? Uh, bring the gold, bring your earrings, bring your jewelry, whatever. And we'll we'll do we'll we'll do what you want. So, just jot this reference down. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man is a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord, though, is safe. Don't you like that? The fear of man is a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Aaron had been snared by wanting to accommodate the people. He aimed for the people's approval over God's honor. And the problem gets then intensified. It gets worse. See, godly leadership could have turned things around at that point. And really, all this shows in this aspect of his leadership or lack of leadership is to expose man's true condition. We always will be bent towards choosing our own way, not God's. We, we will trust in ourselves before we trust in God. That's a bent that we have. So therefore, the counsel of the Word of God must be, um, you know, the issue of God's Word dwelling richly in your heart. We need that. We, we've got to have that. Because, again, you can be the nicest person on the block and yet still trust in yourself and have self-sufficiency issues, you know? <laughs> and we, so we got to recognize that. What we really need is God's mercy and intervention. <laughs> and that's what we see later on in the chapter. Okay, move on. Point number three. They're fashionable idol. It was a fashionable idol. A fashionable idol. It's got two meanings. Aaron fashioned it. He shaped it. He made it. But it was also fashionable. (laughs) And what I mean is that it was popular. Popular among pagan nations, especially Egypt. The idea of building up a golden calf. You know... We see it there. Aaron gave instruction, calls for the donations. The people responded. He received their gifts and he fashioned the idol with a graving tool. That's very clear, very specific. He had a tool and he engraved it. Well, we're not suggesting that it was solid gold. It might have, it might have been. Who knows how much gold they offered up? But we understand, tend to understand that it was more of a gold-covered golden calf. That's not a big issue to argue, but the point is it's a golden calf. And then we think, well, that's kind of silly. I mean, it's just a little calf. But some of you agricultural people, Richard, yeah, you know that about a three-year-old is no little baby. It's a bull. And what is that significant of? Strength. Power. You know? And so that's one of the symbolic things about the popularity of this idol. Well, we don't want a wimpy symbol. (laughs) We want something that's got strength to it, right? So it was a a popular thing. And that's important to understand because today, you and I, if we're not careful, we still make idols ourselves out of popular things or popular people, popular fads. We've said it here before. John Calvin was one who commented something along the lines of this. Your heart is a factory to make idols. It's an idol-making factory. It's on 24-7, unless Jesus is in control. 
What is an idol? We, we tend to think, well, it's, duh, it's a golden calf. But yet an idol is anything or any one that takes the place of God and devotion to him, love and worship to him, anything. And see, this is why this is really so convicting is because there's a rush of things and a rush of people and issues that become little idols. And they can grow in us more and more. If we're not careful, we got to knock them down. we got to get rid of them. And the idols that a person makes has significance and meaning to it. Just like the golden calf had significance and meaning to it for those people in their time, in their minds, that had significance. Oh, this is a good one. That's a cool one. Because, well, that's what they did in Egypt. That's cool. That's acceptable. Right? And so it is in our day, in our age, with us in this time of life, it's not going to be some unpopular thing that becomes an idol in your life. It's something that's popular, something that's cool, acceptable, and all that. But you know what? God continually warns us against doing this continually. If you were to take, you know... I hope that you'll come to Sunday school if you're not coming. Matt led and Matt Bassam led in our time this morning with resources, tools for the trade of Bible study. You can take your concordance and look up this idea of idols. In fact, it's very interesting. Um, in one of the topical Bibles that I looked up, there is a listing of the idols by name given in the Bible. And it's not just two or three. There are 20 or so names of idols that Israel or other countries or other nations, I should say, worshipped. All sorts of names of things that were worshipped in the Old Testament. So it's a constant thing. And this is one of Israel's stumbling blocks. They kept coming up to worship idols. You know, those high places that were raised up. And good kings wiped them out. Bad kings lifted them up. Oh, let's go off to idol worship again. Constant problem. John the Apostle says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. Think of that. For all that is in the world... Right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from Egypt. It doesn't say that in the text, but that's what we can connect it with because Egypt is a symbol of the world's ways. You follow that? And this is the thing. People have done this all throughout history. They become fashionable idol makers. We make it out of things. Psalm, just jot the verse down. Psalm 115, 4 through 8. Psalm 115, 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold. Well, that's, those are popular items. They're popular things. Their idols are made out of silver and gold. It's the work of human hands. Their mouth, they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. What's God's point? They're dead, nothing, empty idols. I am the living God, He's saying. Trust me. Then with people... Um, there's a great example in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 gives a great example of how people made, wanted to make Paul and I believe it was Barnabas, um, they wanted to make them into idols, into gods. Listen to this. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, he healed a man who was crippled from birth. They, these people, lifted up their voices. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. 
They're not playing a joke. They're not mocking. They're serious. And they called Barnabas Zeus. And they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. They wanted to make Paul and Barnabas gods. And people, we do that in our day and age. That happens. Our young people are doing it out of sports heroes. You know, a a popular sports figure travels to India just recently. And he's got thousands of people around him because he's a popular athlete. It's just, it's just so right there of making this person into a God. So, um, the issue on point number three, the fashionable idol, is that here's something that we desire and here's something that we're going to imitate from Egypt, from the world. Okay? So, their fashionable idol, again, simply revealed what was in their heart. And it led immediately to point number four, their false worship. Their false worship. Isn't it interesting how Aaron had to add to the mix? They made this golden calf, but Aaron then said, hey, I'm going to build an altar. That's a familiar thing. And let's add burnt offering and peace offering. That was an acceptable thing that he added to the mix. Oh, that that sounds like the worship of Yahweh, right? (laughs) It's false worship. God doesn't accept it. Okay? It's called syncretism, where we have, here's the gem of what is true, but people in our day and age especially, let's say, let's add to it. Let's add what we think will work. And it's sin. It's the sin of idolatry, which it springs forth out of man's pride and his pursuit to worship what he wants to worship, the way he wants to worship. And its constant companion is the sin of coveting. It starts in the heart. It doesn't start with idolatry. It starts with me, myself, and I which builds into, I want this. And so let's have this kind of a worship pattern or worship system, right? Which, it's not just covetousness, it opens the door for sexual immorality in many cases. Not in all, but in many cases, it opens up to sexual immorality. And that's what we have in this passage is that the people got got together the next day, they offered up the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink. That's fine. Fellowship and togetherness. But then what happens? And they rose up to play. Some people want to say, well, that's just celebrate. They're celebrating. Well, the word is also connected to Isaac when he was lying to the king about who Rebekah was. He did what his father did. Follow this. And then the king later on saw them playing. Sexual innuendos. Knowing that they're truly husband and wife. Isaac, he had said, oh, this isn't my wife. He, he did, he just lied. (laughs) And, and it's, so the same word is there in that passage in Genesis. And so this issue of playing brings in the the problem of sexual immorality. Um, Just jot it down again. I I don't want you to um, necessarily go there, but this is Colossians chapter 3. Jot the reference down, please. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 and 6, where it says, Put to death... Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul combines those sins, saying that here they're overlapping. They're connected. And it's on, the next verse, verse 6 says, On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Well, that's what we see back here in Exodus 32. The wrath of God gets stirred up. 
because of their sin. So, this issue then of the the false worship, it's always easier to follow something we can see than it is to follow something we can't see. And that's the problem in that we deal with. Uh, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And yet, I keep wanting to go by sight in my life. I keep wanting to remember, it, you know, well, this is my, here's my feelings, or here's what I, I, I feel in my gut. We, we do that a lot. And yet, God says, no, no, no. Don't trust in yourselves, trust in me. Walk with me through this. Trust me in it. You know, the, the issue is, you know, we need to walk by faith. The pro, this process of wanting to follow something we can see happens over and over again through life. God gets replaced with false gods, graven images, fake gods, who can't do anything <laughs> other than make us feel better. It boils down to our prideful rebellion is what drives it to have us set up and be devoted to some idol. It ends up that my desire really is for power or for pleasure or for privilege. That's what's behind idol worship. I want power. I want pleasure. I want privilege. And so this idea allows me to then reap benefits that I want. And in so many early idol, um, idol worship systems uh, during the New Testament, you know, there's the, um, the temple of, of uh, Aphrodite where there's prostitutes hanging out. Well, there's part of their worship. Another reference, I'm not going to read it, but this is a a very helpful one, is in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Habakkuk 2, 18 through 20. So there's some great statements there. Okay, so that brings us through these four aspects of Israel's uh, faith going astray their fading focus, their feeble leadership, their fashionable idol, their false worship. And then five, we come to the faithful God and His servant. At this point in Exodus 32, starting at verse 7, we see that God, His wrath has been stirred up. And Moses responds and goes right into intercessory prayer. And there's this issue that we kind of get tripped up by. And um, I want you to, I want to have you see this. You know, God is threatening with wrath and eliminating these people and starting over with Moses and his people, you know, for him to be the nation. <laughs> and Moses, in, in, in verse 11, Moses, um, responds to God's wrath, uh, the threat of God's wrath. And Moses, in verse 11, implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. That's his prayer of intercession. Then what does it say in verse 14? Look at verse 14. And the Lord, what? The Lord repented or relented. He changed his mind. And we go, no, how can that be? So what is this getting at? Why do we have this here? Why didn't... Why is it mentioned? It kind of messes our minds, our theological system up. (laughs) How do you answer it? Well, I think here's what helps, is to understand that 
who wrote Exodus? Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote the book of Exodus. Okay? So Moses is under the understanding. Here's God's um, response to him. And it's not that God changed his mind. It's actually that I believe God gave a test to his servant. God gave a test to his shepherd. How are you going to respond to this? And what did Moses do? Moses, being the faithful leader, responded with intercessory prayer. Based on who God is, his character. So, um, Moses continued to make a, uh, a display of faithful leadership in his response. We're not going to be able, obviously, to cover every point here um, in verses 7 through 29. But one of the things that happens is he finally gets there. He's got the two tablets written by the finger of God. He's got the two tablets right there. He gets down there. He sees the scene. And what does he do? Oh, please stop. Please stop what you're doing. That's It's bad. It's, it's not going to help you. What does he do? He breaks the tablets right there. He breaks them. That ought to send a a huge message to us, my friend. Because the people have broken the covenant with God. They couldn't keep it. They gave their word. They couldn't keep it. And see, this is the point that God wants us to see in the big picture. You can't keep God's law. You cannot keep, no matter how good you are, you cannot keep God's law. You say, but I haven't worshipped any other God. Oh, really? You, ever, you know, and we go through the Ten Commandments, not just get to the thou shalt not lie, because we know we're all liars, right? But we start with number one, two, and three. Thou shalt worship no other God. Number two, don't make any graven images. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We break all three of them by making one little idol. We can't keep the law. No matter how much we talk about it or try and say something, we cannot keep His law. That's why we needed a perfect mediator. A perfect intercessor. And it wasn't Moses, it was Jesus. That's what this is pointing us to again. Moses foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So what is uh, your, your faithful response? What's your faithful response? That's what we are called to do. Have a faithful response. First and foremost, always ask God for His help. Stop exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Romans chapter 1. When we make an idol, any little idol or big idol, you are exchanging the truth of God for a... Say it. Say it. A lie. Don't exchange the truth of God for a lie. It's not by might, nor by might... I'm sorry, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that I can do anything for God. It's by His amazing grace. So we ask Him, give us your grace to carry on fully devoted to you. We ask knowing of His amazing grace. It's unlimited resource. It's grace to sustain us. It's grace to strengthen us. It's grace to guide us. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace grace that is greater than all our sin then secondly you must identify your golden calves take time today what are my golden calves and if you come up saying i don't really have any you're you're lying to yourself not just to know about them Not just to acknowledge them, yeah, yeah, these golden calves, they're really a burden. No. Identify them, 
and reject them. Burn them up just like Moses. Burn it up. Okay? Back when I got saved in uh, 19... Whatever it was. I can't remember. But one of the things, you know, we were into heavy rock and roll. Heavy, just, and it was, it's like people can say, oh, that's not a bad thing. For me, I needed to get rid of that. And I did. I got rid of it. Got rid of the music. And you say, well, that, that's, that's good. It's not very deep, though. No, it, for me, it was very important to relinquish that and say, that's of the old life. That's of Egypt. That's of the world. Get rid of it. And too often, I still, even to this day, still talk to people that I can sense they still have hung on to something of their old life. They haven't relinquished it. They haven't, you know, gotten rid of it, rejected it. And they say, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I think they're hanging on to a burden in their life that is not helping them at all. Listen, it is. It's a great challenge because we have many good things in life. God has blessed us richly. But in that, the good things that He's blessed us with can become idols. Listen to this. I can, I can make an idol. You can make an idol out of degrees. College degrees, whatever. You can make an idol out of your bank account, your job, your career, your possessions, your house, your cars, your collections, your popularity and reputation, your sports teams, your travel experience, your spouse, your children, and your grandchildren. You can make an idol out of it. Do you understand that? We need to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. And I get riled up because I wrestle with it myself also. And I know it's something that we need to be serious about and say, no, we're not going to go there. We say all sorts of things as Christians. We say, oh yeah, I love the Lord and I, I serve the Lord. And, and yet... What's in the background? What's in the shadows? What's in your backpack, in your pack, your suitcase? These idols. And so we need to deal with them. And here's how we deal with them. We deal with them in private with God. We confess our idolatry to God. First of all, that you've broken those first three commandments. Admit it to God. Confess it to Him. He knows. Then secondly, do it in trust. Do it in trust. Um, deal with them in trust with a believer, a, a confident, uh, someone that you can confide in, a brother or sister in the Lord. That's why we have connect groups, my friend, is so that you can have that connection with believers and share with them your struggle. It's not to come up here necessarily and say, I, I confess, you know, all this stuff. No, it's, it's with a brother or sister in the Lord that you do that and ask for prayer. James chapter 5 says, confess your sins to one another and what? And pray for one another. That's the connection there. So deal with it in trust with what God has said. And then for growth's sake, for God's glory, deal with this. What a relief it is to unload the burden of idolatry. Recognizing that idolatry, idolatry really keeps us from fellowship with God. It deceives us. First Corinthians 10, verse 7 says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Therefore, in chapter 10, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. I know, I've gone over here, but I believe that this is an issue that uh, we don't think that it's a problem. I mean, after all, we're not Egyptians. We're not Philistines. We're not pagans. And yet... I know I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner. The more we are letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, the more we're going to shine for Christ in this dark and, and uh, lost world. 
Be thou my vision. One of the verses says in that hymn, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Think of that last phrase. Is he your treasure? If he's your treasure, then all the other little things that sprout up around are going to get mowed down in no time at all. You like that? Let's do that for God's glory. Let's stand together. Thanks for hanging in there with me on this. I close with this. as we go out today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all those in Churchill County and in Fallon. Yeah, it doesn't say that, but you know what I mean. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need say nothing. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus has come to deliver us from the wrath to come, that we can look to you and have hope, have a confidence in you, and that you will, by your Spirit, help us with power to overcome and to unburden all the bags, of uh, all the various idols that have accumulated We want to um, just mow them down, reject them, and lift up Christ alone. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for our time. Bless these dear folks, I pray, uh, that we would glorify you in our words, in our deeds, in our thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen.